When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at MyBookie. The college football season is just heating up, guys. We're getting into crunch time, and it's time for you guys to put your knowledge to the test and put some cash in your wallet by signing up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag. When you do so, you can use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on that first deposit. Or if you want to avoid the playthrough, you can use the other option, 200 cash, to get a cash bonus added straight to your account, no strings attached. Two great options. Make the best choice for yourself. But as you guys know, I am your host, Tyler. And after a week off from the listener mailbag, we are back this week in a big way. We've got a ton of great questions. Some of them coming out of Georgia's 43-20 victory over Florida. I think I got that wrong on the recap episode. I think I said 42-20. Obviously, it was 43-20. We don't want to take any points away from our guys. So our 43-20 victory over the Florida Gators. But also a couple of questions looking ahead to Missouri this week, which I'm excited about. We'll be talking a lot more about Missouri later on this week. And I actually have a few questions about the college football playoffs. So a nice mix of questions here today. And let's not waste any time, my friends. Let's go ahead and dive right in headfirst. And off the top here, our big picture question of the week comes from Bradley You all know, I think you know, I hope you know, that the inaugural college football playoff rankings, at least for the 2023 season, will be released at 7 p.m. sharp, Tuesday night. So while you're out there trick-or-treating with your kids, make sure to have that phone handy so you can get up to date on exactly where the dogs are going to rank in these first rankings for the 2023 season. So that's where Bradley wants to start us off today. He asks, where do you predict Georgia will be ranked in the first college football playoff rankings when they are released on Tuesday? Let me just start by saying this, guys. Let's not forget where we ranked last year in the first CFP rankings for 2022, right? We were number three. Tennessee famously was number one in those initial CFP rankings last year, and we all know how that turned out. So if we are ranked third or fourth, or who knows, maybe outside the top four, I don't think that's going to happen, but hey, I mean, they're humans. I don't always trust humans, so we'll see what happens. So, But whatever happens, don't freak out, guys, because it will play itself out. I don't want to say that these initial rankings don't matter because that's not true. If they had us ranked like number 10, that tells us right now that they have no respect for us. And it's going to be difficult for us to jump all the way up in the top four if you're ranked like number 10 or 11. Now, that's obviously an extreme example. That will not happen. But it is true. The lower you are ranked, the the more of a hill you have to climb to get into the top four, get where you want to be. But the reality is, guys, we play in the SEC. 
probably the power conference in college football. Maybe not so much this year. I think you maybe argued the Pac-12 potentially in this one isolated season, which is crazy to think in its last season of existence, at least as it is currently constructed. But the SEC is the power conference in college football. And if we are able to continue to win football games this season, we win out the regular season, win the SEC championship game, it doesn't matter where we're ranked in the first ranking. We are going to be probably number one in the CFP rankings. If not number one, we'll be number two. We'll certainly be in the college football playoff and we won't have to worry about that. Now, dropping a game, that's where it might actually matter. Let's say if we happen to drop a game somewhere between now and, what is it, December 2nd is the SEC Championship game date this year. I think that's right. If we drop a game, well, that becomes a, a little bit more concerning because we all know there is not a lot of respect nationally for our schedule. I think that is overplayed. I think that narrative doesn't really fit reality, especially what we have coming up here the next couple of weeks. But that is the narrative, and these community members are human. So I, I do have some concerns if we, God forbid, drop a game somewhere. How does that impact our ability to get in the college football playoffs, especially if it's the wrong game? But I'll stand by my initial point. Don't freak out if we are not number one in this initial ranking, okay? Just, just like we were last year, right? We're number three. But to answer your question, Bradley, what do I predict the committee will do? Where do I predict that we'll be ranked in these first CFP rankings? It's tough to answer because it just depends on what the committee puts more weight on. There are some commonalities from committee to committee year after year, but the committee members change. So there's, you know, they, they have a cycle, right? They stay on for a couple of years and they cycle off and someone new comes on. So it's not the same exact committee year after year. There's a few new people every single year. And so the, the composition changes and you don't know what they're going to put more of a weight on. So if the committee puts more of a weight on best team, I think we have a legitimate argument to be the number one team in these initial rankings. If they put more weight on your resume, well, then I think that might hurt us a little bit right now. Now, what the committee will say, the committee chairman who speaks for the entire committee, he always does interviews that after each ranking, he'll tell you, well, it's a combination of both. We look at resume, we look at how you're controlling games, we look at who the best teams are like, in terms of what we're seeing with our eyes. Like They try, allegedly, to put all those things together. Now, my question always becomes like, well, which one do you put more weight on? And they, they are very vague in their responses to those types of questions. They say, oh, it's a little bit of everything. So who knows? There's no exact formula. That's the thing. It's a nebulous process. They have all these different criteria, but they can put whatever weight on whatever criteria they want to. And different members of the committee might put more weight on different aspects, different criteria. That's why it's, it's a crapshoot sometimes. But if they do lean more heavily on resume, which I think they probably will, at least in these initial rankings, I do think that will keep us out of the number one slot because let's be real, guys. Our, our resume is not the strongest. We don't have the strongest strength of schedule. As I said earlier, I don't think it's as bad as some want to make it out to be. And look, even if we get dinged for, go back to what I said at the outset, don't freak out if we're not number one or two. Even if we get dinged for in these initial rankings, it is about to take care of itself. We have three consecutive weeks in front of us right now playing top 20 teams, at least as they are ranked right now in the AP poll. Two of those teams are top 15 as of right now. Obviously, that's subject to change. But as of right now, two of those teams are in the top 15. Our schedule is about to pick up in a big way. So that will take care of itself over the next couple of weeks. I don't really have much of a concern there as long as we keep winning these football games. So if the committee leaves us out of the number one slot or even the number two slot, because of our, our schedule right now, if they really want to ding us for that. And look, guys, again, these are human beings, okay? They are hearing the same things that we have heard all offseason about Georgia's schedule, how easy it is, how soft it is, how much of a joke it is. They hear these things. They are humans. They are going to internalize a lot of that. So I do think that's going to factor into it. And look, again, our schedule is not 
it has not been the strongest schedule at this point. It hasn't been. I think it's been better than what people want to pretend it has been, but it hasn't been a murderer's row. We know that in non-conference was an absolute joke because, uh, you know, Oklahoma, we had to cancel that series. Like, that sucked. That's not our fault, but it, that still affects our schedule. It was always one of my concerns coming into this year is when the SEC made us cancel that game. I was really frustrated with the SEC because forcing us to cancel that game damages our ability to get in the college playoff this year. It absolutely 100% does. Because it is a pretty big blow to our strength of schedule. I feel like the SEC should have stepped in and found a way to get us a better non-conference opponent than Ball State. I know late in the game it's hard to do that, but the SEC should have done something. Because that is ridiculous. I'm still pissed off about that. I understand what they were doing. I get, I get the thought process behind it, but... You got to take care of us some way, man, because that really, really does. It could, it might not hurt, and I hope it doesn't hurt. But, you know, if we drop a game somewhere on the way, then that reduces our margin for error tremendously. Like, we very well could not get in if we drop a game because of the way people perceive our schedule. And it would not be perceived that way if we had Oklahoma on the schedule early in the season. But anyway, yeah, I, I do think that we probably will be at number two or three if I had to predict right now. And I'm okay with that. If you ask me who's the best team in the country, I would still make a strong argument that we are that team right now. Michigan obviously has a very strong argument to lay claim as the best team in the country right now, at least on paper. I mean, I, I can listen to that argument as well. I don't know that we are unequivocally the best team in the country right now. I think that we are probably one of the two or three best teams in the country. But here's what I would have a problem with. Again, I have no issue if they drop us a little bit in this first ranking because of our strength of schedule and it not being the strongest through the first eight weeks. I'm somewhat fine, okay with that because I think it'll take care of itself. What I will have an issue with is if they rank Michigan ahead of us because Michigan's schedule, guys, is worse than ours. They're extreme the schedule. Basically, any strength of schedule metric you look at out there, Michigan is below us, or at best, right on par with us, exactly where we are. So if you rank Michigan ahead of us, you are saying that you just think Michigan is a better team than Georgia. And like I said, like you can make that argument. I would disagree with that argument, but you can make it. Now, if you look at yardage margin, for example, which is one of the stats I like to look at, we still lead the country in yardage margin, guys. I know that's not the be-all, end-all stat. I'm not trying to make it out to be. But what yardage margin tells you is on a down-to-down basis, a game-to-game basis, how much are you controlling the game? How much are you dominating your opponents? And we lead the country by a pretty decent margin there. We're almost plus 1,900 right now, guys, in yardage margin. Michigan's still really strong. They're plus 1,500-ish right around there. But they they haven't dominated games as much as we have. Now, I know if you go box score hunting, you just look at final scores, you say, oh, well, Michigan's killing everybody. Georgia has kind of has played around with some of these teams and hasn't destroyed everybody. You guys know how I feel about that. I think the final scores can be very deceiving. A lot of it depends on how you approach garbage time. Did you give up some garbage time touchdowns like we did against Florida on Saturday? Do you keep your stars in longer and score more garbage time touchdowns when the game's out of hand and, and extend your lead like Michigan has done in games this season? Have you been the beneficiary of teams just making ridiculous turnovers that you didn't really force? They, they kind of just did on their own because they just are incompetent. And you capitalize on those with fumble returns for touchdowns and pick sixes. Mission has capitalized on some of those. And like some of those things that they are forcing, sure, but not all the time. So I personally would have us at number one. Now, I know that I am a Georgia guy. You call me a homer. That's fine. Again, if someone puts Michigan number one and won't say they, they think they are better than us, I can listen to it. I don't think that's an insane argument. I would just happen to disagree. Now, if you if someone puts Michigan ahead of us and tries to argue, well, I think they're, they're two pretty equal teams, but Michigan's schedule has been tougher than Georgia's, then I would have a major issue with that because you don't know what you're talking about. That's insane. That is just simply not true. To me, it just depends on your reasoning, on your logic there. Now, some of these other teams, I think, have a shot to be in the top four. You got Ohio State, who has two really good wins, right? You have a win at Notre Dame, a game they probably shouldn't have won, but they won it. Give them credit. They won the game. 
and they beat Penn State at home. Um, not a thrilling victory there, but they found a way to win that game. Penn State's really struggling offensively, but hey, Penn State was a highly ranked team, so you're going to get credit for that. That's a good football team. Two really good wins. But game in and game out, Ohio State has not been as dominant as we have. I don't think Ohio State is as good as we are. They are good defensively this year, guys. They are really good on defense right now. But offensively, I still have questions. We know that Marvin Harrison is elite. He's awesome. Mecca Buka is awesome. He's out there. He's been injured. He's been banged up. Trayvon Henderson coming back last week against Wisconsin was a shot in the arm for them. That guy is a playmaker for them. They've missed him. So he gives them another element to their offense, another game change in their offense. But I still have questions about Kyle McCord. I, I don't think he's it, man. I don't know. He has a lot of weapons around him, which certainly mitigates some of his issues. But he is not an elite quarterback. I think when you get into the college football playoff, I don't know if he's going to go out there and win you two football games. I don't know if you can win two football games against those kind of opponents with him at quarterback. I just don't know if you can. But based on those two wins, if I had to project right now, I think my guess would be the committee's going to have Ohio State number one in these initial rankings because of those two wins. Now, they have not been as dominant in in all in most of their games. There have been a couple games where they've just blown teams out, but they have two really good wins, and relatively speaking to the rest of the country, they have been dominant. I just don't think they have been, have been as dominant as we have or as Michigan has, but they have better wins. So I think they're probably going to be number one, and I'm not going to argue too much with that in these first rankings. I'll be fine with that. I do think Michigan will be number two because that's just the narrative right now. And again, these are human beings on this committee. And I think they're going to fall victim to that. So I would say Ohio State one, Michigan two. I think that we will come in number three. I think four is up in the air. It could be a number of teams. I think Florida State's got a strong argument. They have two good wins. Now the Clemson win doesn't look as good. This is what I was arguing about this with somebody on social media. And it's like, they're talking about, well, well, Florida State has just so, has these two really great wins. I'm like, well, you're counting Clemson as a good win? And I said this a couple weeks ago. I was like, Clemson might be like a, a four or five loss team by the end of the season easily. And yeah, what are they right now? They're four and four. So I know you go into Death Valley and you win that game, but if you give Florida State credit for that win, you are giving Florida State credit for what Clemson used to be, not what Clemson is right now this season. Clemson absolutely could be a six-loss team this year, guys. They got to play North Carolina. Now, I know North Carolina is struggling right now. Still to play North Carolina. Still to play Notre Dame. Now, get both those teams at home. And South Carolina is not good this year, but they got to go to Columbia at the end of the year. That's not a gimme win. This could easily be a six-loss Clemson team. I don't think they'll get to that point. Maybe like seven and five-ish, probably. But that's not a good Clemson team. Why are we giving Florida State more credit for that win than we're giving us beating Kentucky? I know that we beat Kentucky at home, but we beat the holy hell out of Kentucky. We outgained them by almost 500 freaking yards in that game. Florida State had to rely on Clemson making mistakes, like missing a chip shot field goal with a kicker they shook off the street to win that football game. So I certainly think Florida State should be behind us. Now, do I trust the committee? Uh, not really, man. It wouldn't shock me if they put Florida State ahead of us, but I think that's wild if they do that because you can go back to like yardage march on Florida State just now, this past weekend against Wake Forest, went over the plus thousand yard mark in yardage march. And we're like 800 yards better in yardage margin than Florida State. That's significant, guys. Now, Washington's another team people want to talk about. Well, they, they beat Oregon, man. That's a great win. Yeah, that's a really good win, man. Like, Oregon's a playoff caliber team. That's a really, really good win for them. But you look at the rest of Washington's schedule, dude, did y'all, any of y'all watch the Stanford game? They easily could have lost again. I know if you look at the final score, you say, oh, 42 33, that's fine. Guys, that was a that was a two-point game. It was 35-33 under two minutes ago, and Stanford came up short in their last second drive. And then what did Washington do? So this is what I was talking about. This is why scoring margin sometimes I think can be very misleading. They punch in a garbage time touchdown when they did not need to. They, they could just knelt on the ball. No, 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 no. They had a college football playoff in mind and they wanted to put another touchdown on the board. So they put it in, pushed it in and won 42-33 instead of 35-33. But Stanford outgained them, guys. Stanford, a two-win Stanford team outgained Washington in that game last weekend. Uh, two weeks ago, Washington beat a two-win Arizona State team 15-7 at home. 
15-7. Arizona is a good football team, so I don't want to ding them too much for that, but they beat Arizona 31-24. This is not a Washington team that's going into each game and just dominating their opponents. They have a great win, but guys, we're like a thousand yards better than them in yards margin. They're barely plus 800 in their yards margin. There is no way that Washington belongs in the top four right now. They do not belong. Ahead, they certainly do not belong ahead of us. I don't think they belong ahead of Florida State. I don't think they belong ahead of Michigan. I don't think they belong ahead of Ohio State. I don't think they belong ahead of any of those teams. You can't drop them lower than five because after that, it's one loss teams. So they got to be somewhere inside the top five. But my projection would be Ohio State, number one, Michigan, two, Georgia, three, Florida State, four, and Washington, five. That's how I predict them to rank it. That's not what I would do, but that's my prediction for what the committee will do in this first edition of the 2023 CFP rankings. And here's what I'm going to do this week, guys. The reason I'm, I'm releasing this early this week, one day early, is because I want to give you guys an instant reaction pod to these first rankings that are going to be released tomorrow night. It won't be like the longest episode ever, but I just want to give you guys some some instant reaction thoughts. So we're going to be somewhere in that top four. And I'll fire the mic up and talk about it a little bit tomorrow night and get that out there for you guys. We actually have five episodes this week, so there you go. But all right, guys, uh, that was a long time on that first question. That's what we usually do with these big picture questions. So I want to take a break here real quick, and we'll dive into the rest of the questions shortly. So I want to remind you guys one more time about our great friends at MyBookie. Guys, MyBookie is the sports book to trust out there. I've tried so many different sports books through the years, and I have settled on MyBookie because MyBookie is the one that has always got me covered, whether it's deposits, the different options I have, the quick payouts, customer service. I trust MyBookie. When you're putting your money in the line, that is important. And my Bookie's offering you guys some great promotional deals right now. Of course, you can take advantage of our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit for all new users. That does come with a playthrough, but if you want to avoid that playthrough, they're giving you another option because that's what my bookie's about, guys. They want to make sure they do what's best for you guys. So the, the other option is 200 cash. That promo code will get you a 10% cash bonus on your first deposit up to $200. And that's a cash bonus, guys. No strings attached. Added straight to your account. Just bet whatever you deposit, and boom, that money is yours to do whatever you want with it. So get in on the action today. There's still plenty of time for you guys to get signed up and put some money in your pockets with your college ball knowledge this year. So again, it's mybookie.ag, promo code UGA, or promo code 200cash to bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys, let's get to another question here. Trey has a question. I think this is a really good question. This could be its own big picture question, but with the CFP rankings coming up tomorrow, I want to start with that one. But Trey asks, are we the most complete team? Other teams may have better groups, but we are the best overall. Trey, you know what, man? I agree with you, brother. I do agree with you. I don't think it's as obvious as it was last year to me, but I do think right now, we are the best team in the country. I have seen enough. Now, I know I always get accused of, as a Georgia guy running a Georgia podcast, being a home rule. Of course you would have Georgia number one. Of course you would say Georgia's the best team in the country. Well, guys, let's also remember, I'm the same dude about a month ago who sat here and told you, no, we are not the best team in the country right now. I'm going to give you my honest opinion. I did not think that we were the best team in the country over the first four to six weeks of the season. We were very much a work in progress. We had a lot of new pieces in important positions. Carson Beck has been playing really well from the beginning, but he's gotten better and better as the season has gone with each and every game. We had a, a 
redshirt freshman is basically a true freshman more or less as he didn't really play at all last year with the back injury at left tackle and Ernest Green. Marius Mims goes down in week three. We're dealing with all these injuries without Lad McConkie for four games. Lad McConkie, we, get to, we have a question about him later on. I'm still not sure he's 100% healthy. In fact, I would argue he's probably not 100% healthy right now. The running back room has been a mash unit all year. So like we were not the best team early on. We were working through a lot of issues. We were a work in progress. But I maintain through that entire period of time early in the season that while we are not the best team right now, I still have a belief that we can develop into that. I think that we have the pieces to grow into that. We have the talent to grow into that if we just keep on this trajectory, keep improving, keep getting better, keep getting more experience and getting healthier. And those things are starting to happen, guys. Now, now when Brock Bowers goes down, that certainly reduces your margin for error and you're not a better team without him. But when Brock goes down, we're getting all these other guys back. You're like Lad McConkey back, and you see what he was able to do against Florida last weekend. Defensively, I think that we are starting to play a lot better. We're starting to actually play like we've played football before, not making just ridiculous mistakes that veterans that on the team have not really been making before in the past. They were doing it early this season. So those guys, guys like Pop Dumas Johnson, Smile Munden, Warren Brinson, those guys are starting to play to their potential, playing at a higher level right now. And the younger guys, Marvin Jones Jr., Damon Wilson, Christian Miller, they're all playing better and better, getting more comfortable, and just understanding what to do more and more on a weekly basis. I think that our coaching staff has figured out who this team is and what our identity is. We were still very much in search for that early in the season. I think that we have figured out who we are and who we want to feature and what we want to do offensively, what we want to do defensively, what we do best, what we don't do well. We figured that stuff out. And again, even through all of those issues, guys, all those issues, we still lead the country in yardage margin. I know I keep going back to that stab, but that's that's year in, year out, guys. The, lead, the teams that lead the country in yardage margin, not so coincidentally, are the teams that are typically in the college football playoff. Despite all the injuries, all the newness, we still lead the country in that particular category. And I know, again, I'll go back to what I said when we we're talking about the CFP rankings. The other team I think has a strong argument to be called the best team in the country would be Michigan. However, I side with what Trey's saying here. I do think that we right now are a more complete team than Michigan. Michigan's defense is playing lights out. They lead the country. I think they're giving up like 226 yards a game right now. They are playing at a really high level. Now, I would argue they have played no one with a pulse offensively, but hey, we haven't played that many great offenses either. So there's that. But it really is stunning how bad the majority of the offenses in the Big Ten are. Like there, there are how many good offenses are there in the Big Ten? Michigan, Ohio State, and who else? Not Penn State. Penn State's offense is not any good. I mean, listen to this stat, guys. There are seven Big Ten offenses in the bottom 25 of offenses nationally. Seven in the bottom 25. Michigan has played five of those seven Big Ten offenses. So they've played five Big Ten offenses that are in the bottom 25 of total offense nationally. That includes Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, and Michigan State. All bottom 25 nationally in total offense. So yes, Michigan's defense is really good, but... How good exactly are they? We just, we don't really know because they have played absolutely zero teams with a pulse offensively. But even if we want to allow that their defense is better than ours, and I'm fine with that. I, I can go with that fine. We'll, we'll see as both teams play tougher games on the stretch here. But offensively, there's no questions asked. We are clearly better offensively than Michigan. Like the gap between the Georgia defense and the Michigan defense is much smaller than the gap between the Georgia offense and the Michigan offense. Michigan is barely top 50 in total offense this year, guys. Barely top 50. They're now, yards per play, which I think is a more important measure. I put more stock into that one because it's a, it's more of an efficiency measure. 
they're top 15 there. They're number 13. But we are fourth nationally in total offense right now, guys. And if you do uh, yards per play, we are sixth nationally. So the gap between the Georgia offense and the Michigan offense, again, much bigger than the gap between the Michigan defense and the Georgia defense. So I would argue in terms of complete overall teams, yes, I do think that we are better and more complete than Michigan. And that is with us dealing with an absolute unprecedented spate of injuries the first half of this season. All right, let's keep this train rolling. Let's go to another question, another really great question. This could absolutely be another one that is a big picture opening question on one of these mailbag episodes. We had so many good ones today. We got Calvin up here next. Calvin asks, do you think Georgia has played its best game yet? No, Calvin, that's a scary thing. I just talked about how I do think that right now I'm changing my tune. I think I've seen enough over the past couple of weeks to say that we have developed into what I believe is arguably the best team in the country. But that's a scary thing. I don't think that we've played our best game yet. I think that game's still out there in front of us. And that's a great thing because we're going to need it to be. These next three weeks, guys, are tough, man. These are three top 20 teams. I'll get two of them home, which helps. Missouri, Ole Miss the next two weeks at Tennessee. That's going to be a tough trip, man. We know that. All three of those teams, 100%, are capable of beating us. They're not better than us, but they're good enough if they play at a very high level. They play their best game and we don't play our best game. We play a, a C or B minus level game. They could beat us. So we need that best game to come out here over the next couple of weeks. And I think it will, but we're getting closer and closer to putting it all together. And that's going to happen at some point, offensively, defensively, special teams. Now the Kentucky game was as close as we've gotten. And as dominant as we were in that game, I still think that we can play even better. Now, those might be lofty standards and lofty expectations when you look at a game that we won 51-13, and that's also a game where we outgained our opponent 608 yards to 183 yards, 33 first downs to 12 first downs for Kentucky. It's hard to imagine a team can play better than that, right? Well, I think we can. Think about that game, guys. There's still some plays that we left out there on the field. They still hit a couple of runs against us in the first half of that game. There were a couple of blown assignments on the first drive or two where they, they had shots at big plays and they just missed them, just didn't connect. So yes, while that's clearly the most complete game we have played to this point, I still think that we can play better than that. We're capable of playing better than that. And I think at some point we will see that team. We will see that game. Why do I feel comfortable and confident saying that? Because that's a hallmark of Kirby Smart's teams, guys. They get better. And we've seen that throughout this year, right? I told you a month or so ago, a couple weeks ago, we weren't the best team in the country. I'm changing my tune. Why am I changing my tune? Because we've gotten better. That happens every year in a Kirby Smart. He does not rest. He develops talent. Our coaching staff develops talent. And that's what happens week by week, year after year with this Georgia football team. We weren't the best team. Now I think that we are. And that's why as great as the Kentucky performance was, I think that we're going to continue to get better and continue to improve and we have a better performance in us. Somewhere, somehow, down the line, we have better performance in us. All right, next up, we have two more questions, guys. Here's two more questions coming up that I think also could be big picture lead questions in one of these mailbag episodes. And they're both about Carson Beck. So Darren, uh, always appreciate Darren. Darren asks, what is truly upside for Carson Beck? Is there a quarterback that you would trade him for? That's a very interesting question. Man, you guys know I love me some Carson Beck. I've been behind him all season. This guy, this guy's been playing lights out from the get-go, from the jump. He's just gotten better and better with each and every week. Yes, I would like to see, like a lot of you, I'd like to see him continue to get a little bit more accurate on some of those vertical shots down the field, but I think that's coming, guys. I know, I've seen him hit those before. I know he can hit them. It's going to happen. Remember, Stetson, as great as Stetson was, a lot of people were giving him grief for missing some of those shots too, but you know what? When we need him, Stetson was able to hit those shots, and I think Carson's going to be able to do much the same thing, but Carson's been playing at a really high level. The upside for Carson Beck, I think, is number one pick in the NFL draft. Now, will he be that? I don't know. If he comes out this year, no. I think you know, Caleb Williams Drake may will probably go ahead of him. 
But if Carson comes back next year, I think absolutely he will have a shot to be the number one quarterback taken in the NFL draft for a couple reasons. Number one, he'll have the name recognition, right? That does matter to a degree, right? It does. Having your name on the radar, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it does matter. Uh, so he'll have that name recognition based on how he's played this year and how well we have played to this point, knock on wood. So a lot of games left to play here, a lot of a lot of meat left on that bone. But have the name recognition, have a four years as a starter under his belt. And as well as he's played, coming back for another year, he's going to make a jump. And we saw Stetson make a huge jump from 2021 to 2022. I think Carson can make a similar kind of jump. He's already playing I mean, we'll talk about this in a second with our next question. He's playing statistically at a higher level than Stetson was last year, like already. So I, I think if he comes back next year and continues to improve and play at this level and even, even at a higher level, I think he has the upside to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Again, I don't know if he'll get there. Like, there's a lot of football left to be played. I don't know. But I think he has that upside. The, the way he processes, the way he understands what defenses do, that's a big part of playing football at the next level. I think he's got really good arm talent. He's incredibly accurate with the football. He understands how to check to runs and checks to passes. He can do all of those things. He throws really well on the run. He's he's mobile enough. Like, is he a dynamic athlete? No, we know that. But he's, he's more than functionally mobile. He can move, and he can pick up some first downs with his legs. He's shown the ability to do that. He can extend plays. He can do that. So I think he's got the upside physically. I think he's got the upside mentally to be a first pick in the draft type quarterback. I think he's got that upside. Will he get there? That remains to be seen. But yeah, I think he's got the upside. Now, would I trade him for any quarterback in the country right now? It would be hard to say. As much as I love Carson Beck, it'd be really hard to say I wouldn't trade him for Caleb Williams, right? Now, I don't know though. Caleb Williams doesn't play well against good teams. Against good defenses, he doesn't really put up big numbers. He just torches bad defenses. I mean, let's look at these numbers as the better defenses he's faced this year, guys. So against Utah, 24-34, 256, no touchdowns, no picks. Notre Dame, 23-37, 199, one touchdown, three picks. Arizona, 14-25, 219, one touchdown, zero picks. Outside of the Notre Dame game, those aren't bad numbers. Like he was just bad against Notre Dame. Outside of that, there aren't bad numbers. They're, they're pedestrian numbers though. He, against good defenses, Caleb Williams is a pedestrian quarterback. Like that, that's just what he has been like historically, whether it's this year at USC, last year at USC, first year at Oklahoma against good defenses that actually have a pulse. He's okay. He's fine. Now against the terrible defenses against Colorado, he puts up 406 touchdowns, right? Uh, against Cal, he puts up 369, two touchdowns. Against Nevada, he puts up 319 and five touchdowns. That's what this guy does. He just, he pats stats against lesser competition. But I also recognize you can say the same thing about a lot of quarterbacks. Since the better defenses you face, you're probably not going to perform at as high of a level. That's true for most quarterbacks, certainly. And you also have to recognize Caleb Williams' talent. Just watching the guy play, what you see with your own two eyes, the things he's able to do on the football field, those are some things that other guys can't do. Like he can do things that Carson Beck cannot do with his legs. And that's just reality. But you know what? There might be things that Carson Beck does that Caleb Williams doesn't consistently do. I'm not sitting here telling you that Caleb Williams can't read defenses. That's ridiculous. Of course he can read defenses. But the offense that he plays in with Lincoln Riley is a simplified offense for quarterbacks. It's a, it, They simplify their reads. He's not going through progressions the way that Carson Beck goes through them on a consistent basis. That's just our offense is more pro style. Ask, team, ask quarterbacks to do that. Puts more on quarterbacks in that regard. So I don't know, maybe Carson might actually be a better fit for what we do offensively. So maybe I wouldn't take Caleb over Carson. I don't know, man. That's a tough question. Like the talent is so obvious with Caleb Williams. He's a really good quarterback. But Carson's playing so well too, man. I don't know. I might stick with Carson. Again, I just think it's a fit for our offense. Drake May, uh, that's another one. He'll certainly be in the conversation. Be the number one overall pick will be top five, certainly. 
I think I still take Carson. I know that seems wild because Drake May is, oh, he's Drake May. He's going to be a top draft pick. Guys, I think the same thing of Carson. I really I think he can be that if he stays another year. But Drake May, as good as he is, guys, he's a really inefficient player. Like, he makes some really dumb decisions. Let's be real. He makes some dumb decisions out there. Now, he's a really good athlete. He can make the spectacular plays. I like Caleb Williams. They, those guys make the spectacular plays, but the routine plays, sometimes they don't make. Carson might not make the spectacular plays those guys make. He might not be, not, not be as flashy as them, but the routine plays, he makes far more consistently. And I just think he's a far more efficient quarterback in what we ask our quarterbacks to do. So, you know what? Maybe I wouldn't take anyone else over Carson. I know that seems insane. And here I go. I know dial up the, the Homer chance again, but I think you can make a strong argument that maybe we just should just stick with Carson. If we got the trade, like the guy is playing exceptionally well in, do, in doing what we ask our quarterbacks to do. All right. And sticking with the Carson Beck thing, got one more question here on Carson Beck. So you guys know, clearly I think very highly of him. So Kevin asked, is Carson Beck playing himself into a trip to New York? Oh man. Uh, we're getting lofty here. You know what? Why not? Why not, guys? Look at the numbers. And I only say go to the numbers because we know the Heisman Trophy is a numbers award. That's what it comes down to. Who's put up the best numbers on a at least halfway decent football team? That's what it's become, right? That's just what it is. That's fine. It's, it, it is what it is, and we have to accept it for what it is, and that's what the award is. So you look at Carson Beck's numbers compared to Stetson Bennett. All right, so we know Stetson got invited last year, right? Stetson, through eight games last year, was averaging 293.7 yards passing per game, had nine touchdowns to three picks, and was averaging 8.8 yards per attempt. Carson Beck, right now, through eight games, 307.7 yards per game, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, 9.4 yards per attempt. Now, you can argue that Carson hasn't played the level of competition that Stetson did. Fine. I know Stetson obviously played Oregon, and we, Carson did not have that opportunity against a, a, a big-time non-conference team in the early portion of the schedule. But everyone else has been pretty comparable. In fact, I would, Florida, I wouldn't argue, Florida is better than they were last year. Defensively, they are significantly better than they were last year, about 100 yards better than they were last year. So Carson, statistically, with all the injuries that he's had to deal with, has put up better numbers than Stetson did last year. So if we're talking about a numbers-driven award, why not? If we win the rest of these games, why would Carson not be in that conversation to be invited to New York? If Stetson was, why can't Carson? Stetson certainly had the story behind him. I think that was a part of why Stetson got invited. I don't think you can deny that, but Stetson played really well. He deserved to be there. I think you can say the same about Carson, the way he's playing right now. And here's the thing with Carson when it comes to the Heisman. We haven't had huge stages yet to this point. We just haven't had like the, the big time, huge premier matchup. That's about to change, guys. That's about to change. These next three weeks, these are big stages. Missouri is a 7-1 football team, guys. This is a big-time matchup. It's a game on CBS, 3.30. I know it's the lead-in to the primetime game with Alabama and LSU. That's still a big stage. Ole Miss next week, especially if they don't lose to AM this week at home, that'll be another big-time stage for Carson Beck to play on. There's, those are stages for Heisman moments. At Tennessee is going to be another big stage for Carson Beck. The stages are there. He's already put the numbers. Now it's time to go out and have your Heisman moment. So yeah, Kevin, I tend to agree with you, man. I think right now, if he continues playing the way that he has been playing, and he's gotten better really each and every week, and we keep winning, yeah, I think Carson's playing himself into a trip to New York. Now, I don't think he's going to win it. I don't think he will, but I, I, making a trip to New York? Yeah, yeah. He's playing his way into that right now. If we keep winning, if he keeps playing at a high level, which I don't see any reason why he's not going to keep playing at a high level and winning, it's a tough stretch, but we're better than all these teams. We should win the games. Doesn't mean we will. We should. 
Okay, next up, let's get to a question from Chris. Thanks for the question, Chris. He asked, what are your thoughts on the defense coming out of the gate on their heels so much of late? I don't know... I don't know if it's become a trend. I mean, I know Vanderbilt, they score in the first drive. That was a blown coverage. I mean, yeah, I guess you can say come out on our heels, but that's just Tyke Smith making a mistake that he hasn't really made all year and Vanderbilt capitalizing on it. And I'll give Florida credit. You know, Billy Napier is an offensive guy. He calls the plays for them. He schemed up one hell of an opening drive. That script was great, man. They were doing some things on that drive. They were they were using a lot of constraints. They were showing looks that they've used in the past and plays that they've they've run the past, and they were working constraints off of that. For example, that first big pass that Eugene Wilson caught, he was mashed up with Javon Bullard in space. What they showed there was basically the exact same look that they've shown before where they use Eugene Wilson on like a wheel route, like a fade route on that play. And you can see, go back and watch the replay, guys. Javon Bullard is playing it like that. Same formation, same release where Wilson looks like he's running that wheel route down the sideline and Javon turns and runs. He saw it on tape. He turns and runs like he's trying to keep up with Wilson running the wheel route there. But what does Wilson do? Now he plants his foot, cuts across the middle of the field, and Javon is completely out of the play because he was, was playing that as if it was the play that he saw them run many times on film this season. Well, Billy Napier did a great job scheming it up. He knew that he'd put that on film. So what did he do? He, he ran a constraint there, a counter, if you will, to that play they run earlier and they had a big gain on that and they did a couple of those plays on that first drive so it's a really well scripted drive now I would like to see us defend that better obviously it's fine if you want to say that we came on our heels in that game I guess but what other I don't know what other game we've really come out on our heels defensively I mean yeah variable scored in that first drive but again I, I could consider that kind of fluky Kentucky, we just jumped out on from the get-go. Auburn scored, I guess, only their second drive of that game. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying that there haven't been games where we've come out on our heels. Maybe Florida was one of them. I just don't think it's become a trend yet. South Carolina would be another one. So your point stands there, South Carolina, Florida. Yeah, I see where you're going there. I just, I don't think it's been a, a trend where it's happened like game in and game out necessarily. But in those games, I think a big part of it is just scripting. And and that's tough, guys. Like There are really good offensive coordinators out there in the country, and they're really good at scripting plays. But you can only script so many plays, right? Because what did Florida do after that first drive? Not much. Not much until the last two drives. I think it had 189 total yards going to those last two drives in absolute garbage time when we were up 36-7. to So I'm not overly worried about it. I'm certainly going to be monitoring. You're right. There have been some games where that has been the case. I just, I don't think it's become a, a troubling trend yet. All right, next up, we got a question from Jamie. Uh, This is a great question. Jamie's all over it. He asks, how impressed are you with Kirby Smart-led teams not getting caught with their pants down on strict plays? It seems like we always seem to sniff them out. Yeah, I'm not going to say that there hasn't been any trick play that a team has hit on us. Yeah, there have been a few through the past couple years, but not many. You're right, Jim. When teams try, we tend to defend those very well. Case in point, obviously, the the fourth down call, which I think was a terrible call. Curtis doesn't always doesn't fully agree with me on that one. That's fine. I think it was a terrible call in that in that moment, that situation in the game. I would not have made that call. But the it was a trick play, right? And they ran a couple of trick plays and none of them worked against us. And that speaks volumes to me about our coaching and how we prepare our players, not just by watching film for this specific opponent, like game plan specific stuff, but just like principle wise, like knowing your fundamentals, knowing your rules and sticking to those down in and down out. For example, Marvin Jones Jr., they ran a reverse to Ricky Pearsall. Marvin did not chase. Marvin said, that's not my job. My job is to stand right here and see if anything flows back my way. And it did. And he was there to make a big tackle for loss in the first half. 
If you play by the rules that your defensive coach has established for you, those trick plays should not work against you. If you are disciplined. Now, there have been times this year, especially against, really against Auburn, where we have not played disciplined football defensively, the way that we are accustomed to seeing Georgia defense play disciplined football. But that still remains the exception this season. But under Kirby Smart, the reason we are so good traditionally against trick plays is because we have rules defensively that our players are supposed to play by. And by and large, we are a disciplined defense. And you put those two things together and you have the recipe for teams having a really hard time hitting trick plays against you. All right, guys, we got several more questions, plenty more questions to get to today, but I do want to quickly take one more final break before I forget and remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. I know a lot of you will be coming in town this weekend for the Missouri game. It's going to be a huge game in town. I'm pumped for it. You're pumped for it. We're all pumped for it. So on your way into town, you might want to stop by Alumni Hall. They're open bright and early at 8 a.m. Because it's going to be a little chilly, guys, especially after halftime when the sun goes down. You know how that weather's going to get. The first half might be fine, but it's going to get chilly. So you want to be prepared with all the latest cold weather gear. Alumni Hall has got you covered. So stop by in-store right off the uh, Coney Connector inside the Etchbridge Shopping Center, 8 a.m., bright and early. But if you're not in town, you can still go ahead and pick up all the latest gear at alumnihall.com. It's a great shopping experience online. You're not going to beat it. So make sure your guys pick up all your Georgia gear at Alumni Hall because that is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, a couple more questions here. Let's go to a question from Guy. He asked, do you think Ladd is actually healthy? The broadcast mentioned that he's not sitting down during the halftime break and things like that. I know injury info is limited, but he's such an amazing player and makes the offense easier. Is this a chronic issue? Can we afford to rest him? Yeah, this is a great question. A guy, he's been dealing with a chronic back injury, a lingering back injury. I've talked about it a couple times in the show. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of you probably had some sort of back injury in your life. I have dealt with um, some back injury stuff, you know, doing running and weightlifting, all the stuff that I do like an idiot, an old, like an old man. Old man probably shouldn't be doing these things. Yeah, I've dealt with some of that before, and it's um, it's tough, man. It, it just it's, doesn't really go away until you take extended periods off. That's why early in the season, we shut them down for like two weeks. We're just like, you can't do anything. And honestly, two weeks, that's good. It's not enough. You need like two months to really fully heal, which is hard to do in the middle of a season when you're trying to win another national championship. So you try to manage it the best you can. Lad is not 100% healthy. Lad will not be 100% healthy at any point this season. Just trust me on that, guys. Without even like knowing the full details, I'm not a doctor, but as someone who's dealt with back injuries, I'm just telling you, without extended periods of time to rest, which he's not going to get this season, he will never be 100% this season. But can he be healthy enough to go out there and play for us and play at a high level like he did against Florida? I think the answer is yes. Now, you got to manage it the best you can. And you're right. They mentioned during the broadcast when I was watching the replay a couple times, yeah, he's just he's just not sitting during breaks during halftime on the sideline because that's when it tightens up. And that's true, guys. Like when you sit for any kind of period of time, even just a short period of time, it'll tighten up on you. It will. And so you know these things. So you got to manage it. And it seems like we're doing as good of a job as we can managing that. It's going to be a week-by-week thing, man. Like he's... He practiced a good bit during the bye week and last week, which he hadn't been doing at all. He had not been practicing at all, guys. Just trust me on that. I've been told he's like just not practicing. He's out there watching, but he's not doing anything. And that's fine with Lad because he's got so many reps built in. He also didn't practice much last year dealing with that the lower extremity injury, the toe injury, uh, ankle injury, just dealing with some things, knee injury that he was kind of dealing with. He was really banged up last year. So Lad's a tough guy. Let's just let's just say that. I mean, he doesn't make a big deal about it. Uh, we've made more of a deal about it this year because he's missed time, which he didn't last year. But that dude's been dealing with injuries for two years running, and he is 
just gone out there and done everything he possibly can to be on the field. So he's a tough dude, but he's not going to be 100%. I'm just hopeful that we can continue to manage it and keep him out there in the field because when he's out there, we saw on Saturday, the dude is 100% a game changer for this offense, especially in the absence of Brock Bowers. All right, next question comes from Russell. Russell asks, the sack numbers went up this week. Yes, they did. Uh, do you think we can sustain that pressure? And if so, how much does that help our defense moving forward? Yes, Russell, I do think that we can sustain it. I don't really have too many expectations that we're going to be a dominant pass rush team on standard downs. That's just not what we do. Schematically, we just have shown an entire Kirby Smart tenure. We have shown no willingness to really want to do that. Our goal, as we've said several times on the show, many times on the show, is we want to... Stuff the run on first and second down, get you third and long, and that's when we bring in our, our third down package and we get crazy. We get after you, right? Bring Jalen Walker and That guy's got like a 20% pass rush win percentage right now. 20%, guys. That is insane. That's high. That's the best on our team, and that is big-time stuff. So we get him on the field in those situations, and it, it can be lights out for a team. So, yeah, I think if we can continue to get teams to third to third and long, which, again, we're, we've been the best third down defense in the country, so that's key for us, and that's a big reason why our pass rush on third down has been a big reason why we've been so good on third downs. But we got to get them to that situation. I think getting a guy like Terry Ingram Dawkins back, I think that can certainly help in that regard. I think that could be a big boost to our pass rush on standard downs. Michael Williams is a guy that can still give us a lot of that. And just like the offense, guys, like we had to figure out our identity offensively and figure out who is best at doing what and what, who we should feature and how we should feature them. I think we figured that out defensively too. We figured out, okay, this these are our best pass rushers. These are the guys we want to use in these situations. We're using Pop Dumas Johnson more as a blitzer because he's gotten really good at that. So I think we've kind of figured that out defensively. So yeah, I fully expect, just like last year, guys, we, we, I talked about it in the recap episode. We had seven sacks coming into the floor game last year. We had 20 eight the rest of the season. We had 12 sacks coming into the game, the four game this year. I'm not going to say that we're going to have 28 sacks the rest of the way, but I think you're going to see a similar increase in our ability to rush the passer, a similar improvement, I should say, in our ability to rush the passer the rest of the season because we have guys that can do it. It's just a matter of using the right situations and turning those guys loose. Okay, next up, Garrett has a question about the offensive line. Thanks, Garrett. Always appreciate it, man. Garrett asks, with the constant rotation offensive line, what do you think each one on that rotating cycle are missing and stopping them from taking the next step in being the permanent starter? With that being said, I do think the offensive line is playing at a high level. Yeah, it's a good question, Garrett. It's a good observation. But right now, especially with Mims out, the only spot we're really rotating is that left guard spot, right? Like we're rotating Dylan Fairchild and Micah Morris in there. Both guys are, are relatively inexperienced. We, we feel highly, we feel strongly about both of them. They're good players. They both deserve to play. I think they both have played at a high level. Fairchild had a really tough game against Auburn, but since that point, he's been really good. Morris has been really solid for us there. But right now, that's really the, the only position that we are rotating. It's going to be interesting to see when Mims does come back. What does that look like? What, what happens with Truss? Are we going to rotate him at right? tackle still or is he the odd man out who's the odd man out there somebody's gonna be the odd man out there does trust us go back to left guard I don't know man because I think Fairchild and Morris are playing really well at that spot right now so that'll be interesting to watch but at that left guard position I don't know if either one of those guys really miss anything I think they're both playing really well I think it's a matter of consistency because there are times where they look like young players like guys who haven't played much football but the more they play you're seeing that happen less and less. So I think that the left guard rotation is a matter of like we like both these guys, Morris and Fairchild. We think both of them are big parts of our future plans on the offensive line. And we want to get both of them experience because we're probably going to need both of them next year. I think that's really what it's about more than one guy not showing something. I think we just feel good about both of them. And we want to get both of them experience. That will help us out next year. And they both are playing really well and they both deserve to play. Okay, we've got three questions left. And next up, we've got a question from Trevor. I always appreciate it, man. 
I love this question because it is fresh on my mind after reading an article, I think it was Sunday on my way back from Jacksonville. Uh, Trevor asks, where would you like the Georgia-Florida game to be played while the stadium in Jacksonville is undergoing renovations, home and home, on campus, or another neutral site? And the report that I read was that it's looking like home and home is not the most likely option here. It looks like both programs are in agreement. They're going to try to bid this thing out to other cities in that two-year period, which is 2026 and 2027, that they will be renovating the stadium in Jacksonville. In the report, I forget exactly who it was that released. I, I'm sorry, guys. I can't remember exactly who it was. I read a lot of reports. But in that report, there were no hard and fast answers on where the locations would be, where the neutral site locations would be. There were a couple of that they threw out there. Atlanta being the one that would probably be most likely when we are the designated home team. Camping World Stadium in Orlando was thrown out as a possibility for when Florida's the designated home team. Guys, I I don't I do not want this to be a neutral site. It's going to be almost certainly, and I get why it is. Financially, we can make more money, and that's really what it comes down to. It's the almighty dollar. So I know it's going to be at a neutral site. I would bet a lot of money that Atlanta will be one of the neutral sites that will host it. The other one, I mean, Orlando does make a lot of sense. I don't know if it will be Orlando. Miami was also mentioned. I hope not Miami. I know people like Miami, but that stadium logistically is a nightmare. Awful, 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 awful game day experience. So no, please no. I would absolutely take Orlando over Miami. I know Miami is a superior city to Orlando. But in terms of the game day experience, Orlando is much more convenient logistically. It's not as much of a hassle as Miami is. And that is coming from someone who has been to both stadiums for games. I want home and home. As a fan, that's what I would prefer. I know the, the money doesn't factor into my decision and my preferences. I would love to see Florida here in Sanford Stadium. I know that that happened back in the 90s, but I was like seven or eight years old when that happened. I would love to go to Gainesville. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that Gainesville is a great college town. I don't know. I've never been there. I hear some people say it's great. Some people say it's terrible. Who knows? I've never been there. I like going to other college towns. I would love to have that experience. And that'd probably be the only opportunity in my life to go see a Georgia-Florida game in Gainesville. I would love that experience. But what we want does not matter. It's all about the money. That's just what it comes down to. That's college football these days. It is all about the money and what the fans want. What's best for the fans doesn't really factor in the equation all that much. Now saying that, I also recognize there are probably plenty of fans out there who don't want to be home and home. I'm just one guy. I know not everyone shares my same opinion, but me, as a guy who goes to all these games, I would strongly prefer it be home and home in that just two-year cycle. And you go back to Jacksonville, I'm cool with that. But the opportunity to have that novel experience of Florida coming to Georgia, coming to Sanford Stadium again for the first time in, what, 30 years at that point, us going to Gainesville for the first time in 30-ish years, and for the first time that I personally would be able to make that trip, that would be incredible. So much better than going to Camping World Stadium in Orlando. So much better than going to the Benz another time. Guys, I have absolutely zero interest in going to the Benz any more times than I already have to go there. We already have to go there for SEC Championship games. We already have to go there for these neutral side games next year to open the season against Clemson. The Benz is fine. Going to Atlanta is fine. I know it's convenient for a lot of Georgia fans. It's okay, whatever. It's just, it doesn't feel like college football to me. Neutral sites usually don't. Jacksonville's different. It's a tradition. It's a different experience. It does feel like college football down there to me. But Atlanta, no. It does not feel like college football. Charlotte, when we played there, didn't really feel like college football. And again, I know I'm one guy. I'm just one guy. That's my opinion. A lot of you probably have a different opinion, and that's okay. But if you're asking my opinion, what I would prefer, I would strongly prefer it be home and home. All right, guys. Our last two questions here. We are looking ahead to this matchup against Missouri this coming weekend. 
And this is just the beginning, guys. We're going to have a lot more coverage for this game, specifically the rest of this week. Well, let's go ahead and get a little bit of a head start on that, shall we? So Jake asks, has Missouri played a good defense this season? So if you guys are not familiar with Missouri, if you haven't watched a lot of Missouri football to this point in the season, Missouri has a really good offense. Now, they have not been as dynamic the past couple of weeks against Kentucky and against South Carolina, but throughout the year in totality, this has been a really strong offensive football team. They're top five in the SEC, averaging 443 yards per game right now. They are fourth in the SEC in yards per play at 6.66, and their receiver, their top receiver, Luther Burden, a guy that you probably know well if you follow recruiting, we were right there with him, and we almost landed him. He was a Missouri guy. He ends up going to Missouri, East St. Louis guy. Um, he was fine for them last year. Obviously, Dominic Lovett was their lead receiver last year. He played primarily in the slot for them. So, Burton was kind of playing a little bit out of position. Now, he's playing in the slot, which really fits his skill set. That's a premier position in Eli Drinkwitz's offense. And he is playing lights out. He is second in the SEC. For most of the season, he was leading the SEC in receiving. Now, he is second with over 110 yards receiving per game. Brady Cook, their quarterback, who was just as average as grits could possibly be last year, has really become an impact player for them. Like he has become a playmaker for that offense. Again, like their offense in general, last two weeks he hasn't been as dynamic of a playmaker, but he's still playing at a significantly higher level than he was at any point last year. So the question becomes, all right, their offensive numbers have clearly improved from last year. I mean, if you go back and look at last year, yards per play, Missouri averaged 5.4 yards per play. They were 12th in the league. Uh, in total offense, they were 11, 367 yards per game. So they have improved dramatically on that side of the ball. So is that because they've just gotten better? or is it a function of the defenses that they have played? Now, they have not played high-level defense. Let's be clear about that. They have played some defenses that are solid. If you look at Kansas State, they play Kansas State at home. Kansas State's a top 45 defense nationally, but I certainly would not call Kansas State an elite defense. They played LSU. LSU is terrible on defense. They're 91st nationally right now, and they cannot stop the pass to save their lives. So they threw all over LSU in that game. They played at Kentucky. Kentucky hasn't been elite defensively. It's still a good solid defense, although we put up over 600 yards against them. So how good are you, Kentucky, defensively? They have good players. They're just not playing at a consistently high level on that side of the ball. It's somewhat surprising considering the uh, the background of Mark Stoops and how good those defenses typically play. But Kentucky's a top 60 defense, so the top half of the country, but certainly not an elite defense. So yeah, your point stands there, Jake. They have not played a big-time defense at this point in the season. They played South Carolina. South Carolina is not good on defense. It's true. They have not really been challenged by anything remotely approaching the type of defense they're going to see on Saturday when they stroll into Sanford Stadium. But saying that, as I will go into in great detail later on this week in our preview episode and our picks episode, this Missouri offense is still really good. This is the best offense that we have faced to this point this season, no questions asked. In fact, the next two weeks, Missouri and Ole Miss, these are clearly the best two offenses that we have played and the best two offenses that we will play all throughout the entire regular season. But we'll lay that out in more detail here in a couple of days. But all right, guys, last question here. One more about Missouri. So I, I laid out how improved Missouri's offense is, but Mark wants to look at the other side of the ball for Missouri. Does Mizzou have a defense? I know they love to blitz. I'm not sure they want to do that, though, against the Georgia offense. And to answer your question, Mark, as with the Missouri offense, we'll go into more detail with this later in the week on our preview episode, but we'll give you a little, a little taste here. The Missouri defense is about on par with what they were last year. 
Now, they don't rank as high in the SEC because the other defenses have kind of jumped ahead of them, but their production is about the exact same, which makes sense. They have a lot, a lot of players returning from that defense. You would think that maybe they take a step forward. They haven't really taken a step forward, but they are playing at a good, solid level in the SEC. They're giving up 338 yards a game, 5.21 yards per play, which is almost identical to where they were a year ago. 340 yards per game last year, 5.28 yards per play. So maybe even slightly better this year, but they also haven't really played much of anyone with an offense that can really scare you. LSU is the only team. LSU is dynamic. They're the best offense in the SEC. One of the best, if not the best offenses in the entire country right now. LSU in Missouri torched them. 533 yards in that game. Uh, 49 points, 8.1 yards per play against Missouri. That's the only offense really with a pulse. They played Vanderbilt. They played Kentucky. They played South Carolina, who can't protect Spencer Rattler to save their lives. Kansas State was still trying to figure out their offense, their quarterback right now. They changed their quarterback at this point. At least they kind of have a dual a dual threat quarterback that they rotate in, which they were not doing early in the season. They played in a higher level. They played Memphis, who is a, a good G5 team, but it's a G5 team. We won't be the, the best offense that they have faced this season. That's LSU, but we will clearly be the second best offense they face. It'll be LSU, Georgia, and everyone else. They have not played, outside of LSU, they have not played anyone remotely coming close to what they'll see from our offense, even without Brock Bowers, on Saturday. So yeah, the Missouri defense is good. Like They are respectable. It's a solid defense, but it's not an elite defense. Chris Abrams-Drain is playing a really high level at cornerback. He might be an all-SEC type guy at cornerback this year. He really might. Tyron Hopper is a really good player for them at inside linebackers. They have some good players in spots. They don't have the overall depth and they don't have the overall talent throughout that entire defense, but they do have some good players that can be disruptive and cause us some issues. But again, we'll go into greater detail with that with the preview episode. But there's a little bit of a taste for you on both the Missouri offense and the Missouri defense. But all right, guys. I've got to get out of here. This is a great stopping point. I think I got through, that's most of the questions I've got. Let me check real quick and make sure we don't have any more that were sent in here at the last second. I think I might have seen one that just got sent in. Nope, we're good. We're good. That was just a comment, not a question. So I think that's all the questions for this week, guys. Again, all of you sent questions in. I really appreciate you. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions at any point, feel free to send those in at any time, guys. Don't be strangers. We love that interaction. We'd love to include your questions here on these mailbag episodes. But make sure to check back tomorrow, guys. I will have an instant reaction pod for you guys right after the rankings are released. I'll try to have that up for you guys by around 9 o'clock-ish. Don't hold me to that. I'm going to try my best to have it out for you guys by then. But we'll have a quick little instant reaction episode reacting to wherever the committee decides to rank us in these initial CFP rankings in the 2023 season. So check back then, guys. have a lot of great stuff for you guys this week as we do each and every week. But I'm Tyler, and as always, go Dawgs!